come and see. That is the words that Jesus says this morning. Those are the words that Philip say this morning. Come and see. Come and see that God has called many people, maybe even you. The Old Testament reading for this particular Sunday is a favorite. It is the call of Samuel, the prophet, in uh, the book of 1 Samuel, the third chapter. I'd like to read some of that for you. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the Ark of the Covenant. Suddenly, the Lord called out, Samuel! Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. And again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Samuel did not know yet that it, the Lord uh, did not know the Lord yet because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time, and once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again, and as someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. And the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I'm going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sins are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. His, his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. So I have vowed here that... Um, uh, so I, so I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifice or by offerings. Let me read that again. So I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifices or offerings. Samuel stayed in bed until morning, then got up and opened the doors to the tabernacle as usual. He was afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had said to him. But Eli called out to him, Samuel, my son, here I am, Samuel replied. What did the Lord say to you? Tell me everything, and may God strike you and even kill you if you hide anything from me. So Samuel told Eli everything. He didn't hold anything back. It is the Lord's will, Eli replied. Let him do what he thinks is best. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him. And everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. In all Israel, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, 
knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. This particular call story from the book of 1 Samuel about Samuel has a soft spot in my heart because the reason he is in the temple serving Eli as an acolyte, the reason he is there in the first place is because of a promise his mother made to God. His mother had not been able to have a child and she had gone to the temple to pray and as she prayed, this is what she prayed, in the midst of deep anguish, it says, deep anguish, she prayed that if God would bless her with a child, she would dedicate that child to the service of the Lord. I wouldn't be standing here in front of you today. I truly believe this. I would not be standing here in front of you today had my mother not been praying this prayer. She must have heard this story from her pastor. But when I was born and was very sick, this was the prayer she prayed for me. However, she never told me about it until the Sunday that I was being ordained into the ministry. That was the day she chose to tell me about the prayer she had prayed for me. And so when we hear things from God, when we see visions from God, like in Samuel's time, they may be very rare and very uncommon. But they are very powerful because they speak to who God is. My heart goes out to Eli and every one of his wicked sons. How will they ever be forgiven? The sins of Eli and his sons, it says, will never be forgiven by sacrifices or offerings. So how will they ever be forgiven? Will they ever see the day of salvation. That is how it begins as we come to see. We come with different issues and feelings and thoughts and God comes to clarify them. We come with anxieties and doubts about us and God comes to show us declare to us that his love is so great that it can even overcome your doubts and your anxieties. Philip was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. Now, Philip was an evangelist. He was one that once he had been called by Jesus to follow Jesus as he was following Jesus, he went to a friend of his, Nathaniel, and he declared to him that he had found the Lord. So come, let's go together, let's follow him. And Nathaniel's question is, what can you tell me about this guy? And Philip says, well, he's from Nazareth. And I love Nathaniel's honesty when he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip was an evangelist who brought others to Christ just by his invitation 
to come and see. But this isn't the first people to follow Jesus in John's gospel. There's others that have come before Philip and Nathaniel. Earlier, Jesus would gather his disciples as they would choose to follow him. For example, John the Baptist told two of his disciples as Jesus walked by, there's the Lamb of God. He is the one who has come to take away the sin of the world. And then later, he tells them to go and follow Jesus. And so Andrew and this other disciple, they start to follow Jesus. They respond to Jesus when he turns around and asks them, what are you looking for? They respond to Jesus with this question, where are you staying? That's what they are looking for. That's what they want to see is where are you staying? Where are you remaining? We want to hang out with you. When I was in high school, one of my favorite um, things on Sunday, uh, when in the summertime when we were at our lake place, was the Bible camp. Because at the Bible camp, they had church services, which were fine. I enjoyed those. But what I really enjoyed was the concerts that they had Sunday nights. And they would have Christian rock bands come in. And I remember the, the group Damascus, and I was so excited uh, to be able to, to see this group. And, and one of the guys actually even visited with me before his concert. His name was Paul Sorensen. Well, Paul's a Lutheran pastor here in the valley, and uh, we hang out together on occasion. And one of the gifts about that relationship is that, uh, that I got to come and see Jesus through these concerts, through this gift of music. So like, um, like the disciples, they wanted to just find where Jesus was hanging so they could hang out with him. They wanted to come and see, and that's kind of what I did when I was the groupie to this, this group Damascus. I just wanted to come and hang out with them. I wanted to see where they were staying. So Andrew and the other disciple, they follow Jesus, but they don't just stop there by following Jesus because like Philip calling Nathaniel, Andrew goes and calls his brother. His brother is Simon, son of John. Remember, they're the fishermen up in Galilee. And he says to Simon, hey, come, come and see what, I, what I've seen. It's, um, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And so Simon comes. And the minute Simon is introduced to Jesus, it says that Jesus saw Simon and he said to him, you are to be called Cephas, Peter. So this is where Peter gets his new name. Before this, he was Simon. After his call, after his invitation by his brother to come and meet Jesus, after that experience, he has a new name. Now he is known as Peter or Rocky. Now when Philip told his friend Nathanael, we have found him about whom Moses and the law and the prophets have all written, his name is Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth, that is when Nathanael shows us his skeptical side. Others have just been following Jesus without question. But Nathanael, 
he has a question for Andrew, who has invited him to come and see Jesus. Nathaniel's question is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was a Jewish town, but it was not a recognizable historical town. It didn't have any prophetic or spiritual or historic identity. Um, it wasn't like Bethlehem, which has this rich history, you know, from, from David and so many others. And that w- it wasn't like, um, like Jerusalem, which has the temple. It wasn't like Bethel, which had Jacob, where he wrestled with God. You know, all these other towns have identities associated with them, but Nazareth didn't have one. And as a matter of fact, many scholars believe that Nazareth was probably a newer town that was built and developed for returning exiles, Jews who had been taken into exiles as they had returned back to Israel. Um, many, they believe, resettled in the town of Nazareth. So Nazareth was not known for anything famous. And so it was hard for Nathaniel to believe that anything good could come out of this town, Nazareth. But Philip's reply to his question isn't a debate. It isn't an argument. Philip's uh, reply to to, uh, Nathaniel's question is an invitation. What he says is come and see. Come and see. Those are the same words Jesus had said to Andrew and the other disciples when they asked, where are you staying? And he said, come and see. Two simple commands brought together by a conjunction. Come and see. Now, when Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, this is what Jesus said to Nathanael. Here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, no dishonor, no any kind of negative back baggage. And so what Jesus is saying is that Nathaniel is a true Israelite. And what that means is something important because to be called a true Israelite was a reference to the name of Israel. And I don't know if you remember the name of Israel was actually given to Jacob. Uh, Jacob started out in life as a thief. He and his mother plotted how to steal the birthright from his brother Esau. And it was blessed by God, but, you know, he was still a thief. And so there is a point in his story in Genesis where he needs to go and reconcile with his brother Esau, but he's very afraid of Esau. He is so afraid because he knows what he has done to Esau is wrong. Have you ever had that feeling within you? You know what you've done is wrong. And so he asks God to help him. And God comes to him in the middle of the night at this little place called Bethel, and they wrestle all night long. But Jacob won't let the stranger go. And the stranger that he is wrestling with, many scholars say, is a reference to God. He won't let God go until God blesses him. And this time, the blessing is legit. It comes from God. He says, you'll no longer be known as Jacob. You'll no longer be known as the thief. Now you're going to be known as Israel. 
and that's when he has his hip popped out of his socket, so he has a limp as a reminder that even though he's broken, he's been redeemed. He's been given a new name. He has been given a new identity. And so when Jesus says to Nathaniel, you are a true Israelite, that is a compliment. And Nathaniel recognizes it as a compliment because he asked Jesus, well, where did you get to know me? This is what Jesus says to him. Nathaniel, I saw you before Philip called you. I saw you before Philip called you. I saw you under the fig tree. That also has an interesting connotation because to sit under the fig tree was a euphemism for studying the Torah, to study the Bible, to study your scriptures. And so what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel is, I saw you in relationship to your, your studies with God, your wrestling with God, with the scripture. I saw you as a true Israelite, one who is authentic, one who is accountable, one who is repentant, one who is faithful. I saw you. That is Jesus' response. And Nathaniel's response to Jesus is a pure confession. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Nathaniel wastes no time. He knows his scriptures. Jesus, he says, is the Son of God and the King, the Messiah of Israel. Jesus responds, you say this because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. You say this because I told you you're a good scholar. You're a good student. You will see greater things than these. You will see greater things. In John chapter 4, when Jesus asked the Samaritan woman at the well for a drink of water, she asked Jesus, why are you a Jew asking me for water? Jesus was a Jew. He was a male, a man. Um, he's asking a Samaritan woman um, who has come out at noon to evade the crowds, to evade the people because she perhaps has some shame attached to her life. And so she doesn't understand why would Jesus ask her for a drink of water and Jesus says to her, if you knew God, if you knew who was asking you, in essence, he said, if you knew me, if you knew who I am, you would have asked me for a drink, and I would have given you living water. That's the point of that next verse there. If you, Samaritan woman, would know, have known God, if you would have seen God, if you would have known me, you would have asked me for water, and the water that I would have given you is living water. And then her reply is, but you have no bucket. <laughs> Sometimes we are kind of slow. You have no bucket. And her other question is, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? Well, as you know, the rest of the story, Jesus will go to show her how she can see 
how she has seen through his actions greater things. Is Jesus greater than Jacob? Is Jesus greater than Israel? He is the living water. Jesus says, you will see greater things than these. In John chapter 15, after teaching his disciples that he is the true vine and that they are the branches, Jesus tells them this, you now love one another as I have loved you. Jesus is calling us. You now love one another as I have loved you. And then he says, no one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Are these the greater things that Jesus is talking about? Living water? Laying down one's life? Is there a greater love than Jesus laying down his life for you, for me? The invitation this morning is to come and see. And the invitation is to invite others to come and see. In John chapter 6, we have the story of the 5,000 men being fed with five loaves and two fish, along with all the women and the children. So thousands and thousands of people being fed with five loaves and two fish. It says that after they had fed everyone, after all the food had been, the food had been blessed and distributed and everyone had eaten their fill, and after all the leftovers were gathered into 12 baskets, the people saw this sign, this amazing sign, this miraculous feeding. And they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. The people saw Jesus. They saw him as the prophet that had been promised to the world. But Jesus is even more than a prophet. In John chapter 20, after the women had gone to the tomb, after Jesus' crucifixion and burial, that next morning when they went to the tomb to finish his proper burial, they were greeted by the stone being rolled away from the tomb, the tomb being empty, and an angel of the Lord speaking to them. In fear, they ran back to tell the disciples. And the disciples that heard, at least two of them, Peter and the other disciple, the beloved disciple, the two of them ran back to the tomb. And as they ran into the tomb, it says, the other disciple went into the tomb first, and he saw. What did he see? He saw that the tomb was empty. And it says he believed. Seeing is believing. Seeing God is believing in Jesus. Come and see. Come and see. For the Lord is good.
But here's the twist this morning. The twist is this verse here. Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Before any of this encounter, before any of this invitation, before any of this evangelism had happened, Jesus saw Nathaniel. Jesus knew Nathaniel and he loved Nathaniel. This wasn't a consequence of Philip bringing Nathaniel to Jesus. This was a consequence of Jesus already seeing Nathaniel before he was called, already knowing Nathaniel before he was called. God knows us even as we are being formed in our mother's womb. God knows you. God sees you. And God loves you. Jesus saw you before you ever saw Jesus. Jesus knew you before you ever knew Jesus. I rewrote a lyric to one of our favorite songs, Jesus Loves Me, because I think today we would sing, Jesus Sees Me. Jesus sees me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Come on, sing with me. Yes, Jesus sees me. Yes, Jesus sees me. Yes, Jesus sees me. The Bible tells me so. Jesus knew John the Baptist even before John knew Jesus. John didn't know Jesus until the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in his baptism. But Jesus knew John long before that. Jesus saw John's disciples, Andrew and the other disciple, long before they saw Jesus. Jesus knew Peter before Peter ever knew Jesus. Before Jesus ever renamed Peter, Jesus knew him. Jesus saw Philip before Philip followed Jesus. And Jesus saw Nathanael before Nathanael saw Jesus. Jesus knows us before we know him. Jesus sees you before you can see him. So take heart. Jesus knows you, and Jesus sees you, and Jesus loves you. Whether you're a confused young man like Samuel when he was called by God, whether you're Nathaniel and rather skeptical about who God is and how God could be calling you, no matter where you find yourself in this story, I want you to hear one thing. Jesus sees you and knows you. So take heart. Because Jesus will also die for you. And he'll be raised again from the dead for you. 
And so that you, like the beloved disciple, can look into the empty tomb and see and believe. Come and see, for Jesus sees you. Amen.